Hey, this is Thinking and Drinking. I'm your host, Bart Almond. Over the last 30 years or so, I've worked for major record companies, working with major artists such as Alabama, the Dixie Chicks, and Florida Georgia Line. I've also been writing songs for the past 15 years, have over 50 cuts, two number ones, and made a lot of friends along the way. I'm going to be talking to some of those friends about songs, life on the road, and just life in general. I hope you have as much fun as I will. Hey, special thanks to Paul Reed Smith. They make some of the best guitars in the world, and I'm so proud to have them as a sponsor. Check them out at prsguitars.com. All right, pod folks. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is uh, Thinking and Drinking, and we are doing another episode with my buddy Tyler Shirelli. He's the first two-time combatant of the Thinking and Drinking Wars, and it's because he's just one of the best cats in the world, but also he's making a huge change in his musical life, and it's very interesting to me and hopefully to you guys. He's had a steady road gig before Georgia Live for the last seven years, and he just recently gave his notice to the guys, who were great, by the way, and he's going to concentrate full-time on just being a studio guy, and he's actually really having some great success already. But I love this because, as you'll hear, this was his dream since day one. And uh, since before he moved to Nashville, he was playing around Kansas City with his dad and some folks. So uh, go live your dream, my brother. I couldn't be more proud of you. Here's Tyler Shirelli. Tyler Shirelli. Hey, man. Hello, my friend. Hello. Did you uh, have had a big change in your life? And yeah. And you look uh, at ease? feel great and smiling and your hair is flowing i wish i was a little bit of a like a five mile an hour fan on you right now just so it would just go <laughs> your hair. right uh-huh. yes yeah do you want to uh talk about your change yeah man i uh i left my gig yesterday after seven years has it really been seven yes it was coming up on seven or it is seven i'm bad with math man Joined in 2013, Florida Georgia Line. And, uh, yeah, I've gotten to do things I never thought I'd do in my entire life. Yeah. And I've gotten to do them multiple times. Uh, but I want to play on records. Yeah. And I want to put all of my energy into that. And as you should. You're, you're a pretty good guitar player. Well, you know, I appreciate that. You're one of the best guitar owners I've mm, ever met. There we now we're getting to now we're getting to the truth. There it is. There it is. All right. No, that's that's exciting and and scary and yeah. awesome and all of the above, man. Yeah, it. Uh, I have rarely thought about anything less once it once I really let it sink in. About leaving? Yeah, I really? equate it to when I moved to Nashville. Um, my folks had a big part in that. They kind of kicked me out of the house because they knew how scared I was to go. Uh, but once I made the... It's like tough love, right? No, 100% was. Yeah. And once I made the move to Nashville, it was, you know, all bets were off. Like, yeah. I, I, I was in love with everything about it. But this was very much the same way once it kind of sunk in that I was, like, wanting to do that and had some momentum in that world... I just, the days that I would leave the studio, even if it wasn't the best day, yeah, they were still my favorite days. Absolutely. It's like we used to say about golf, a bad day on the golf course is better than a great day in the office. Exactly. Same kind of thing. I recently started playing golf. Nice. I could have brought you some clubs. Hey. 
Still can. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, uh, every bone in my body feels great about it. Yeah. I was so. And you have a wife that feels great about it. Yeah. And I was so excited to get uh, back to doing something that I was so passionate about. Because I wasn't passionate about my gig anymore. And the biggest thing that started weighing on me was that's not fair to them. Yeah. And that actually really started affecting me. Our very last gig we played, I had a mechanical error at the top of the show. It wasn't playing. I forgot to hit a pedal that detunes my guitar half step. We could only Where we played was such a remote place that we could each only take one guitar, but I used different tunings. And How was it? Huh? Where was it? Necker Island. It was for Richard Branson. Really? Yeah. Um, yeah, we went to his house and played a gig for him and 200 of his friends. <sighs> and it was awesome. It was totally cool. Yeah. Did you uh, ask him if he was a virgin? <laughs> <laughs> his, his autobiography, the second page, has a topless picture of his wife. I don't think he's a virgin. That's a true story, by the way. I did not know that. I didn't either until I was standing in the gift shop in his home, in his residence. He has a gift shop in his house. And the first on the first floor, it's like a little shop you can go in and buy all these little trinkets. It's like the Pope. And, and knickknacks, if you will. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love that word. It's, I hate knickknacks, man. And uh, there was this book, this giant book, and what intrigued me about it was the price on it was $1,500. <laughs> and I was like, what? So I started reading and got pretty captivated by the first page because it tells a story about how he bought this island and how he met his wife and it went into detail. And then you turn the page and there's a topless picture of his wife. And you're like, whoa, <laughs> it's 1500 bucks for a reason, okay. <laughs> nice to meet you. Yes, yes. Jumping in head first. Mm. But, uh, but yeah, man, I had a mechanical error, uh, and we had to talk about it afterwards. Uh, it was a good talk. It wasn't a real heated thing. Yeah. But I left with my pride kind of hurt a little bit, and uh, it became evident to me a couple of days later that I was like, man, I'm going to start actually making mistakes if I don't leave, because yeah. while I enjoy this and I love the people, and it's the best year I've had. The thing I'm really passionate about is sitting in a recording studio and playing with people or playing with a group of people and just taking an amp and a guitar and playing some good raunchy rock and roll and just different tunes like that. I had, I had kind of exhausted myself on that gig. And sitting here, I'm looking at Ebo's amp, yeah. Wagner, Matchless, Marshall, Marshall, Marshall. Mm. Then over here, old Telly, old 335. Old Les Paul. It's like, these are, this is all stuff you would never take on the road. No, I tried to at one point. <laughs> yeah. And that wasn't very fun. But I'm just saying, so yeah. you, get to, you get to play your favorite guitars. Yeah. It's just, and that's who I've kind of become. Like, and that's where I'm really happy. Yeah. And I, I, selfishly, I, I want to get to a place where I'm really happy because then the people around me get, well, get me at my best, you know. And no offense to road guys. Because we love them, yeah. but you can only ever be so creative when you're copping somebody else's parts. Yeah, and and there became a, a beauty to that once I once I um, heck yeah once I realized that I could make it a game. Yeah, it's like how can I yeah. how well can I nail these parts right. tonight? And that became fun for a long time. 
But you always drift a little bit. By the end of the tour, you go back and listen to Board Tapes from the beginning of the tour, you're like, God, I, <laughs> I can tell when I stopped going back and listening to the record. Right. Uh, and that happens to the best. Absolutely. That, I, I, I had a talk with Tom Bukovac about that recently. He was like, man. Who's that? I've, sorry. Is he a guitar player here in town? No. Really? I, okay. Yeah. He works at the gas station. Okay. And we get in these deep conversations. Because I know that guy, I think. <laughs> I think he's one of your best friends there, guy. <laughs> Uh, and he was he uh, he was sharing some wisdom, yes. which he has plenty of. Yes, he was like, "Man, I've got a three year rule. I can't stay on any gig longer than three years because it's not fair to the artist or myself." And he goes, "After three years, you should get out and go do something else." Interesting. He goes, "Unless you're invested in the gig, unless it's your band, unless it's your band, or unless..." And he, this is what really struck me, and and I related to this, and hmm. I, I'm going to carry this with me, and that is unless you're on a gig where things change every night and it keeps you on your creative toes because that's when you're doing your best work. Yeah. That's why the first and second takes are usually always the best when you're tracking, yeah. right? And that really stuck with me. Uh, and I that's, was like, man, well, I'm coming up on my seventh. And yeah, I should, I for myself, I should take myself out of that and make myself, you know, stop. I wasn't necessarily lazy. I've worked harder in the last year than I've ever worked in my life. Yeah. But the things I was working at weren't that. Right. They were, you know, everything sure. else I wanted to do. So yesterday I made the call to our entire camp and to my amazing bosses <laughs> who we had the most beautiful conversation and they were so supportive and sweet. Brian and Tyler. Uh, yeah, Brian and Tyler. And it was the most welcoming, amazing send off. Dude, they're good guys. Yeah, and and it it couldn't have gone any better, and I feel so good about it. That's so, awesome. Uh, it's awesome we get to sit here today and talk about the next chapter. Dig. Yeah, man. Crazy, man. Yeah. So, you you transitioning to? I mean, I just am. Uh, do you have a niche? A niche? I mean, like, do you have a thing? Like uh, I just like, what are your strengths as a studio cat? Do you have a quirk, or do you stay in the main lane, or what do you what do you do? It depends on who I'm working for. Okay, and and I I will preface all of this for anybody that's listening. I'm at the bottom of the totem pole in this town, <laughs> and I'm so proud of that. Like I'm the guy who gets called when someone can't make it. I'm, <laughs> well, I've, and that's happened that. a ton, and it has it has led to amazing relationships. Yeah. But I just want to preface by anybody listening to this, I don't for one second want people to think that all of a sudden, like, I think I'm a Justin Ostrander or Saul Philcox or any of these guys that are like in the younger new generation, like, I'm still learning. Yeah. But I've had some really great wins in the last year, and I'm starting to learn Absolutely, the answers man. to these questions. Um, so it does depend on it depends the writer, on who the I'm producer, working for. the artist. Uh, uh, my pocket has always been something people comment on because I started playing drums first. Right. Uh and so that, you know, I really enjoy playing rhythm guitar. Yeah. That's always fun for me. Um, and I just, I guess my biggest strength, honestly, is being positive and having a good attitude and being willing to try anything. Yeah. Uh, I guess I hear a lot. I've never really thought about that. I hear a lot of people comment on that. Um, I'm constantly working on new gags and creativity. I'm finding in this town where music is going, guitar is an inevitable part, and I can't speak, an inevitable, there it is, Yes. part of the conversation when it comes to creating a song, but a lot of times the song isn't necessarily calling for a guitar part, because music has gone in such a popular music direction. So, I spend a lot of my time 
trying to assimilate guitar parts with different sounds and situations that I can bring in, um, you know, especially to demo sessions, especially when we're moving super fast, you know, and we're doing, you know, six or seven songs in in three hours. Well, that's what one thing when when you go into a demo session, are you hearing a guitar vocal? Mm -hmm. Are you hearing a rough demo with drums and bass and whatever? Or are you hearing all the above? Man, the the things I'm hearing now more than anything are either a really crude, like iPhone demo of, you know, somebody sitting at a table with an acoustic guitar and a vocal. And this is the first time we're hearing it. Yeah. And we'll chart it out. And then the other thing that's starting to happen a lot, which is actually kind of cool, is somebody will bring in, you know, some tracks to dump into the Pro Tools session of like a drum loop. Okay. Maybe a really simple keys part uh, and a vocal. And that'll kind of dictate the direction they're wanting to go. And then we just go start kind of throwing paint at the wall. And, you know, 30 minutes later, we have a song. So will that. Will that dictate what guitars, what amps, what you use? I mean, of course, I mean, I remember like when I was writing all the time, I had a band. Yeah. And so like Pat Buchanan was a guitar player always. And or book. Yeah. And they would, they know me inside and out. And so the only thing I ever would comment on is, can you play a telly instead of a Les Paul? Right. But they knew I'm, this is a matchless song. This is a Marshall song. Yeah. This is an Ampeg song. So as you get to know these guys, mm-hmm. is that a big part of that also, your your own education? Uh, I'm finding, for me, and this might be blasphemous, because as you see, like I, I love amplifiers. Yes. I have a problem. With <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, for me personally, I'm finding that that stuff gets really distracting. Okay. If I'm in an overdub session... Absolutely. I'll bring three or four or five amps right. of the different food groups, and we'll spend time after we get the part for the tone. Yeah. With demo sessions, I'm actually finding less is more for me. Okay. And I'll start with one guitar, and I'll leave everything else in my cases. And I'll usually bring, um, you know, I'll bring one amp. Yeah. Maybe two. Bring like a Marshall and a Fender or something. And I'll just stay in one amp. We'll get a tone that the engineer digs. And unless I need to change, yeah, I live on that because then I'm totally into the song that's happening. I'm not fussing with gear. If I can't get a sound, yeah, but I'll bring this pedal board right here that's got plenty of different stuff and yeah. use an EQ pedal more than anything, just to sculpt. And you have like a Les Paul or a 335 or yeah. something that just kind of covers yeah. the whole gamut? I'll usually bring a Tele and then something with humbuckers, and, and that'll be what I switch up. I'll like, use one of those two guitars. Yeah. Uh, but I really, for me, even in masters, I'll live on one amp for the entire day until I have to change. Uh, because it's just, it starts to sound like it to me, this is something I'm starting to realize as I go back and listen to old records. Um, records had a glue and that was kind of the sound of the band. They weren't swapping in all these different amps and stuff. There was a, there was a very congruent thing happening. You listen to like, uh, any ACDC record, obviously, that's like an SG or a Gretsch and do a, a super yeah. bass, right? Yep. Uh, and so I'll kind of listen to the scope of the tunes we're doing, and I'll just pick something that sounds kind of cool. Yeah. And that'll just kind of be the thing. And, and then if I go back to do overdubs with the producer at a later time, I'll bring in some different stuff. But I'm kind of getting into creating a vibe for a record. Well, it, it stretches you, too. It totally does. And it keeps me, ultimately... 
Pardon me. Excuse me. Yeah. Uh, I'm a gearhead, and I'm learning that about myself. And I'll get real lost, and I'll start playing the gear, not the song. Oh, man. That's so great. And and I want to play the song. So I'll, I'll bring a piece of gear I'm obsessed with that I'm really getting to know. Right. And that I'm just freaking out about. And I'll use it the whole day until I can't use it anymore. That's so funny, because when I... I went through a financial hardship yeah. 10 years ago, and I had to sell a bunch of stuff. Yeah. And Amy, my awesome, beautiful, divine wife, was like, I'm so sorry you're having to do this. And I said, you know what? If I, if I get really emotionally buck naked with myself, I realize that out of those 10 amplifiers, yeah. eventually I'll tweak and tweak and tweak and tweak and tweak and tweak and tweak until they all sound exactly the same. 100%. So it's like... Yeah. Why do man. I keep them? Yeah. So yeah, that dude. That's I will play the gear and force that gear into that song. Yeah, and and I just it's fun to like have a thing that works really well and just use that. Yeah. You know, I think of so many guitar players like uh, Mike Campbell. You know, he uses like a non reverb Princeton and then a wide panel like yeah. You know, five C or five B three deluxe, right? And it's just like that's his thing. Yep. And you you span and look. I mean, he's used foxes and other stuff. You know, he'll have jaunts to other pieces of gear. Sure. But uh, I'm kind of getting into, and this will change at some point, and then I'll be like, I can't believe I said that. <laughs> but I'm getting back into like, man, records used to have a sound. Bands used to plug in. Amen. I was out at Ebo's house, and I was getting work done on one of these Marshalls. And Frankie, sweet Frankie Ballard was out, and we were having a great okay. day just being guitar players. Yeah. And, He's a great player. Oh, dude. Yeah. And the coolest guy in the room at any point. And the best knife collection oh, yeah. of anybody. And he'll show you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to ask twice. Um, we got, Ebo got done tubing up the Marshall. We plugged in a Les Paul. And Frank made a comment that blew my mind. And he goes, that's how bands used to start. Somebody mm. gets a piece of gear and they plug in and they write songs around that and that becomes the sound of the band. Yep. And then you get your buddies together and that kind of dictates what you write. And that was a really special time in history of music, which I was unfortunately too young to experience, but I can experience it through records. But and I want to bring that back in. I, I, you mentioned Mike Campbell. Yeah. That is Tom Petty. Yeah. In man. a heartbeat, man. It's like, what guitar and amp are you using? Uh, the ones that I have. Yeah. So we're going to write around this sound. That's exactly Because right. it's the guitar that's in my hand. Yeah. Yeah. So that's... Are you... I know I am totally... I play better if my tone is happening. Mm. Does that... Oh, yeah. Happen There's, to you? Yeah. And I, I'm so thankful to have mentors that help me dial that in the studio because... How, how do you get out of that? Uh, if your tone sucks and that's the only 335 and the only mark, not that that would ever suck that tone, but if you're playing and you just go, there's something off here, how do you, how do you get out of that? Man, I usually, and I learned this from other people, this is not an original idea. Uh, I usually will defer to the engineer. Okay. Uh, and just say like, hey man, uh, this seems a little off. Um, what are you hearing? Like, what do you recommend? Mm -hmm. uh, but most of the time... Uh, the consistency that happens in that in that world, that's a real rare day. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm so thankful to mentors who've helped me like get down to like the last five percent of like speakers. 
Sure. Because for the last year, I've been coming in and, you know, if I bring my car to Drake, I'll have my amps and everything. And been messing around with different speaker cabinets. I'm like, man, like, I'm 90% of the way there, but I'm not, it's not happening. And then I'll ask, you know, buddy, I'm like, hey, you've been doing this for freaking 25 years. Like, right. Would you mind helping me? And he's like, oh, you got to get this cab and these speakers. And then you're like, I will never forget yeah. getting that cabinet last month and putting those speakers in it and taking it to a session and being like, oh my gosh. Yeah. That's it. That's it. That's that's the secret. That's the last 5%. Yeah. And that that kind of, but I struggle with that sometimes. Yeah. And it depends on what mics they're putting on and on that t- sort of stuff. But Do you bring your own mics? No. Like Pat Buchanan always, he's got a Royer 121 yeah. that he brings to every session. Yeah. And he puts it in front of his app. Absolutely. And he just goes, eh, you know what? It, it's a mic. Yeah. But I know what it, it sounds like. Totally. Totally. Uh, I like a 57 and a Royer. Yeah. Um, a Coles mic, a, a little far back from a combo, has a cool thing that was like the old Aerosmith mm-hmm. sounds. Uh, that was a cool thing. I dig room mics, but that doesn't happen too much here anymore. Yeah. Everything's really close mic because of the sound of the records that are being made. But if you give me a 57, I'm happy. I'm happy. Yeah. Uh, Dude, that's pretty much it. A- and as I learn more, I'll probably have a different answer to that in a couple of years once right. I get a lot more experience under my belt. Yeah. But a Royer and a 57 and an amp just kind of cooking and we're we're off to the races. <laughs> Is it loud enough? Yeah, we got it. Okay, okay. Can you hear my cabinet through those drum mics? <laughs> Good. Okay, thanks. Where where am I hearing? Is that is that the microphone that's in the parking lot? Yeah, okay, that sounds good. Yeah. So, I'm such a left-footed guitar player, sometimes the studio guys couldn't play the things I wrote because mm-hmm. they were too good. <laughs> uh, how do you, if you're doing demos... Yeah. And a writer comes in, yeah, and he's like me, yeah. He's one of the best guitar owners in the room. <laughs> you sell yourself way short, my friend. But you, you're sweet. But you hear something that is messing with your head. Mm-hmm. Will you ask the guy? One hundred percent. How are you doing that? One hundred percent. And a lot of times it comes down to tuning, or okay. capo position. Okay, he'll be grabbing like an open string. You know, he'll be out yeah. of B, and instead of me, like, playing out of B, uh, you know, he might be capoing, you know, on the second fret. Right. To grab the, you know, the, the motif of the song. Yeah. Good word, motif. Thank you. Yeah. I, you know, I practice my words. It's true, you guys have big words. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> oh, my God. So, um, but yeah, I'm, I will always, like, and there are times, and I've experienced this a couple times, where I can't do better than the demo. Okay, that's what I outside wanted and, to ask. And you. I will one hundred percent say, "Hey, man, like we can we can go after this. We can go down this. Right? Absolutely, I'll do it. But you should actually leave that part. And this happens more on masters than it okay. does demos, right? Where because the demo is yeah. already you may have even played on the demo, and that's happened before. Yeah, and you go, um, like, I I can't beat what I did. Yeah." Three weeks ago, yeah, and and, it'll, and oftentimes it'll happen to like rhythms or some type of hook, where where it's just super cool and it was executed well, and, and I'll just say, hey man, like I'll be happy to replay that, yeah, but that's really cool, 
Why don't you? Can I supplement it? Like, why so, don't I put some oh, rhythms under it? Why don't we? Okay. Like, why don't we? So then you're dress chasing up? tones more. Than yeah. That. Why don't we dress, dress that up? up yeah. Why don't I leave that alone? And then when we get a couple takes down, if you still want me to redo it with a different tone or like change something, let's totally do it. Right. But beyond that, uh, yeah, I'm totally happy to leave something alone if it's great. Yeah. You know. So at the end of the day, do you just leave it? Is if the engineer or the producer or the artist says two thumbs up, or do you lay like as writer? I'll lay in bed and I'll I'll rewrite the chorus mm-hmm. forty seven times before I finally drift off to sleep. Right? Will you do that, or once you get the thumbs up and your stuff's in the car, you're done. You you don't even think about it anymore. It depends on it depends on the style of music we're doing. If we're doing something that's kind of on the floor. And it's and it just feels great. And that's one thing we did. This uh, this new artist named Ingrid Andres, who's so talented. She's she's awesome. And we did the song called Both. And it was one of those songs that's um, it has this really organic thing that happens. It's kind of the six eight feel that kind of floats. And we cut that song three times. And the third time, we all kind of got done and looked around, and we looked at Jordan, the producer. So you're cutting as a as a whole band, whole band playing at the same yeah, time. Yeah, we okay. were in the tracking room. I'll never forget getting done and looking in the control room. And we like I cut solos on the floor, like everything was in the moment. What do you mean on the floor? Like we uh like in instead of overdubbing, okay, and like playing rhythm, it was like it was in the moment. As it's so, I kicked down. on a boost pedal and went for it. Same at the end at the end of that song. I just went off, mm-hmm. and I figured that Jordan would just bury faders and do it, and we got done. And Tony Lacito's on the session. I remember getting him looking over and being like, man, that sounded like Purple Rain. That's super cool, man. And I was like, thanks. I just, like, we just went for it, right? And that was a perfect example of Left It Alone. Yeah. Got two thumbs up. We captured some magic in a bottle. Right. And when you go find that song, what you hear is that take. I think um, I went back and overdubbed one little delay thing that happens in the second verse, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. And Alex, the keys player, did a couple things. But the meat and potatoes of that song and all the solos happened in that take. It was like the third take we did. (coughs) Pardon me. But also by the third take, you guys are a band. Yeah, totally. And so you're... Totally. You you know the song. You're just flying by the seat of your pants. Yeah, and that was one of those great sessions, too, where we weren't doing a ton of songs. We were there to do that and one other song, and we had two sessions to do them. Oh, man. So we could take time. Yeah. And the irony was that song took maybe 45 minutes right. of everyone's time. It was like, there it is. Like the band just showed up that day, and, <laughs> and just it was super magical. On the opposite side of that, there are sessions we'll do um, that are more track-heavy, where the producer right. will bring in the, the song that's the demo, and it's got a lot of tracks, and we'll bury... We'll dip out the stuff that we're not going to use. We'll leave the hook, and we'll start from the ground up and build rhythms. And do solos and whatnot, then we'll move on to the next. Those I often like to, and this particular producer likes to go back. Mm-hmm. And I'll think about that. and Because oftentimes we're trying to just get through all of them and get... Right. He's gathering data, right? Like, he's going to go back and sift through all those parts... And make it what it's going to be. So my yeah. mind doesn't turn off in that particular instance. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I thought of something I was going to ask you and I, I lost it. But I was rambling. 
No, I love when you ramble. What uh, do you bring the same stuff to every session? Uh, I mean, like you have your. I'm starting to figure that out as I gain more experience. Right. Uh, I used to bring so much crap. I was like, I need all this stuff to make a record. And I'm starting to bring less and less, and I'm starting to set it up differently. Like, I've got a trunk that'll bring, mm-hmm. you know, half a dozen guitars, like a baritone 12-string. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, I know what I was going to ask you. Sweet. Ask. We'll come back to this. Um, Let's go. When you're saying there's a producer building tracks, yes. and building tracks, and building tracks, yes. and building tracks, just because of how Joey Moy makes FGL records, yeah. do you find yourself being super well-equipped to do that? Uh, yes. Because you've been a part of that process? Yeah, and that goes down a completely different uh, story of how I learned to do that, uh, which I'm happy to share if you want to get into it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then we'll come back to the gear talk, I guess, or if you want to do gear, gear talk. Gear talk. I don't know. you want to do that. <laughs> you know me, I'll sit here and talk about a freaking Telecaster for 77 minutes. Which we so, did earlier. Which we did. Which we absolutely, and we were going to do again after yes, this. Yes, we are. <laughs> I love that guitar. Obviously, me I can't too. stop looking at it while we're talking. I know, it's Fiesta Red, man. <laughs> we're such dorks. I know it. I love it. That's why our wives love us. Oh, man. No, it's not. No. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> so, playing an FGL... Uh, is where I learned how to do sessions and, you know, gather parts quickly because they had, they, they, while I was there, they started a publishing company. Right. Uh, I was about to use the word conceived a publishing company. That'd be, that's not, I would have been kind of weird. But, uh, uh, they started a publishing company and in, in the bus it had bunks in it. And in the front they had a little mobile studio and in the back they did too. Right. Well, they would write songs all day. And uh, one day, uh, Daniel Ross, a producer I still work with today, one of my closest dear friends, had me come up to play on something. And it was super fun and magical. And everybody on the bus was kind of like, oh, of course, we have resources out here. Yeah. So I kind of got known as the guy who would come up on the bus every day at about 3 o'clock, go to the back lounge, playing a song, go to the front lounge, playing a song. Mm -hmm. Well, all these were tracks-based. They were really, really competent, great... uh, writer producers that were making these really finished tracks that just needed supplemental parts yeah so oh falling a little bit there we go um you riding the fader a little bit all right you're mixing this as we go let's go (laughs) got a dod7 band eq on your vocals hey from the zoom Product placement H- H6. There it is. There's a product placement. Perfect. And back to and the back podcast. To the podcast. Yeah, man. We uh, <laughs> we uh, so I got really good at learning a place to put those guitars. Yeah, it's really track heavy. You have a lot of synths that have tremolos and like ducking on them. Big drums. Program based. It's just a more modern kind yeah. of vibe. Yeah. And they were cool. Yeah. Absolutely. It was fun. Sure. And a lot of times my job in the most crude sense was to country them up. Right. So I'd bring a Dobro up or I'd bring a Tele up or a lot of times I wouldn't use a Tele because it had to sound tough. So I'd sure. bring a humbucker guitar up and play Tele ish parts on it. And I got really, uh, if, uh, you know, if I can say, I guess I felt like I got really good at creating that sound. Yeah, man. Uh, and I was playing for an artist who was kind of the archetype of that. 
you know, so I was already playing these master record parts live that I was learning from other people and then taking that in and creating my own parts. And it really was a blessing because it gave me three years of, you know, starting from what the hell am I doing to, oh, I'm getting pretty good at hearing parts to, hey, man, like, is the chorus too long? Right. You know, they'd ask me, they'd be like, hey, will you go get a bass? Like, why don't you just play bass on this? And I got to the point where I earned their trust. And those relationships brought me my first master sessions. Daniel yeah. Ross, Jordan Schmidt, Corey Crowder. Like I can trace all my first year of session success to that bus. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm so grateful for it. I learned how Absolutely, to make man. modern work yeah. in sessions, you know. And that was an education I would have never gotten had I wasn't out there. Well, you didn't grow up that way. You grew up playing Merle Haggard songs, which yeah. you can always go back to. Exactly. But that's that's like doing sessions yeah it was so much easier to rein people in than to push them out mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah you it's yeah. like dude i need you to go to the van halen wall and if it's too much yeah we can always bring it back then we can bring it back but we can't always get pushed out there exactly and exactly. not everybody i mean shoot man if i was to switch places with you right now i couldn't do that you know i'm not equipped to do that yeah, yeah. so that's awesome man yeah, so it just really, uh, those tracks helped me get into a studio and kind of learn how to navigate. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then what's interesting is I was so used to doing that by myself, so I had to fill up the space, right? Okay. What I'm, the current thing I'm working on and learning is playing with other instruments that sit in my frequency range okay. while supplementing a track with that already has that much information on it. Right. Uh, learning how to play with a pedal steel, which probably sounds dumb. No, not at all. But picking spots, like listening, like learning to do my headphone mix so that I'm the softest one so I can pay attention because this is my own opinion. Pedal steel is my favorite instrument of all time. Mm-hmm. If I could play pedal steel, I should go get one and suffer I was through it. Say, why don't you do that? Um, that instrument is so beautiful to me. Yeah. But if there's a pedal steel in the room, he's taking the hook. Sure. Especially, I mean, that sound on a track that's so computer generated yeah. is something really cool to me. And I work a lot with Justin Shipper, who's one of my favorite people, and such a beautiful player that does all these really cool effects and stuff with pedal steel. So learning how to play around that is like the new game I have. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, you're going to do the, the first part of the second verse, I'll do the second. Or creating a tone that's kind of similar to his. But it's a guitar player playing it, not steel, right? Uh, and he's been super <coughs> vocal and helpful in me learning how to play with different instruments like that. Because yeah. it's not like just sitting in a room where you have pedal steel. Like, that's fine. But when you've got keys, all this program stuff, I mean, a tiny little guitar part can make the song. Yep. And I've played four notes. Dude, that's, that's so funny. Because, you know, you were talking about being a drummer. Yeah. And so your pocket is really good. I started out as a drummer and I rush everything. Yeah. yeah. And I heard Dan Huff say mm-hmm. that his pocket is not great. And wow. so a lot of times he says, I turn myself down. Yeah. So I can hardly hear myself in the right. headphones. And now even if I'm just playing at church, I'll turn myself way down. Yeah. Because then I really concentrate and I really listen to what's going on. Yeah. And if I can't hear me so much, then I, I find out that I'm just playing along. Yeah. And I'm not trying to lead. Totally. I'm just, I'm just playing acoustic. 
I'm just I'm just filling in space. And well, and I can't speak for any other guitar player other than myself in this, but I find that like if I'm too loud in my in my cans and I come up with a part, ninety percent of the time it doesn't work. Right. But if I bury myself and come up with a part, yeah, I'm hearing everything else around it. That sounds elementary now that I'm saying it out loud, but oh, it's very. It affects the tone. It affects the touch. It affects yep. the delivery. Everything about it when you when you put it into the mix. Well, and if you're listening to the the whole thing, yeah. you're not just going like, "Listen to how cool I am." Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, I mean that was my biggest problem starting out doing sessions is I would come in and just it would be wall to wall guitars. Yeah, I had to start policing myself. You know, the producer's paying attention to the entire thing. Right. And he trusts me to give him content. Yeah. Yep. Well, I've got to police myself and know when the painting's done. I heard Dave Cobb say that in an interview once. He was like, man, people give me so much acclaim as a producer and all this. He goes, all my job is, is to make sure the sounds are cool and then to tell them when it's the painting's done. Yeah. Tell them when it's complete. Put the button on it. They don't need any more. And yep. he goes, that's the role. And I've tried to, like, that really struck me. So now anymore, it's like... If they're like, cool, man, uh, toss some more guitars on this. Like, There's oftentimes they'll be like, I could. Do you mind if I, maybe I do a baritone part? Or mm-hmm. can I listen down once? You know, Obviously, I'll always give the producer what they're asking. Sure. But I'm learning to be more confident in, hey, man, I think that would actually just muddy it up. Yeah. You know, I think we might be good here. Well, dude, you listen to like all the Motown stuff. Oh, dude. You can't. You can't pick out one guitar solo, yeah. but you know the parts that if that guitar wasn't there... It's rhythmic as much as it is absolutely, harmonic. Absolutely. Absolutely. beautiful. Those and parts it's just are masterful. Being being part of a band instead yeah. of being Eddie Van Halen. Exactly. It's like, you just... Yeah. That's awesome, man. Yeah. That's awesome. So we were talking a little bit about gear. Mm. Um Gear. Do other players' gear affect your opinions about gear? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. I'm a student at this yeah. point. I, I have things that I like. Sure. Um, but, yeah, I've, I'm very aware of what's going on around me for two reasons. Number one, uh, you know, the people in this town and the guys I look up to, if they're using something, yeah. it's probably worth checking out. Right. And at that point, if it doesn't work for me, it doesn't work for me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and number two, you know, these are the other guys in town that are creating sounds that producers are hearing and dig. I want to be able to bring that palette. Right. Um, and so I'll try to, without co- just copying, yeah. you know, make sure I've got those, you know, tools in the belt. Uh, what's, yeah. What's, I've seen the Ox, is that Ox? The Universal Audio Ox, man. Yes. That's one of the most important pieces of gear I've ever bought I'm in my life. I'm seeing a lot of those around. Yeah. Uh, speaker Cabinet Simulator. And it has, actually, here's what's awesome about it. It has a speaker motor in it. It does? Yeah, it has a, it, it's a, what they call a reactive load versus okay. a uh, non-reactive. This would be so smart right now, right? <laughs> What is the opposite? It's yeah, there's versus not positive. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> what's the opposite? <laughs> the antithesis of. <laughs> this is my second big word of the day. Let's go, dude. Antithesis and motif. I didn't even remember I what the first think one it's, was. Like it's lunchtime, man. Man, what are we doing for lunch? I'm hungry. But yeah, dude, uh, that-, that 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 box right there became really important for me, and this is actually. Uh, this was a thing that was a bummer for me at first, and it all ties in. This would be a long story. I apologize. 
if you even want to hear it. Yes. Um, I was actually disappointed when the first Master I played on came out because I had this vision in my head that I was going to be sitting at Oceanway tracking with this band. It would be great. And then the record comes out. Right. Man, the first Master that I played on that like came out, I did in the guest bedroom at my old house in gym shorts. I know that room. And yes, you do. I think you had pants on. <laughs> and uh, man, it was so interesting because uh, Greg Walton, who owns Exact Tone Solutions here in town, builds a lot of guys' pedal boards and rigs, was actually the first one to help me change my perspective on it because I did not have a good one. I was like, man, I'm kind of like disappointed. Like, I saw it happening this way. Mm-hmm. And I have a tendency to have see things a certain way, and if they don't pan out that way, then I kind of forget that it was actually still a success, right? Right. Uh, and he goes, man, you're just part of the new wave. Like, you're, you know, yeah. you're doing the same thing. You're just getting there a different way. And I was like, whoa, you're right. Yeah. Like, holy cow. Uh, and so I started really embracing that. And what my goal was was to be able to give people – master quality parts and sounds that I could send in my email. Right. Well, yeah. how do you do that if you've got to like, I'm not Tim Pierce. I don't have, sure. you know, I'm not building a big ISO box in my garage and I'm not going to go spend $30,000 on outboard yeah. gear. I'm not there yet. And I'm not, I don't have any grand illusion that I am. But I had guys calling me who needed guitars and we were playing on masters, like putting out you know, songs for number one country artists. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I, I got to find workarounds here. Uh, and the fractal thing is awesome. The Kimber thing is awesome. And I use that stuff live mm-hmm. and there's guys that use it in the studio and I have before, which I mean, we can get into, but what I get off on what's inspiring is plugging in an amp yeah, and like getting those sounds. Like I grew up being as affected by touch and tone as I did the part that was being played with it. Right. So that's inspiring to me. So I wanted to pay attention to that and give that some credit. Universal Audio came out with this unit, and it changed the entire game for me because I can use all of these amps now and do what I would yeah. do when I bring my cartridge rig. And smell the tubes heating up. And it smells Such good. Such a great smell. Dan Weller and I had that conversation <laughs> once. We were like, this smells as good as it looks. Like, And it does. Yes, it does. Especially if you have some old glass in there, man. Yep. Uh, and that box, for anyone that doesn't know, it has... Uh, you can. It has a myriad of different cabinets that are as true as you can get. Myriad, another good word. Damn it! You are. Some days your daughters will be super proud of dad. Man. <laughs> <laughs> can I can I show them this and yes. tell them they'll, they'll laugh at you when he's yes you can. <laughs> Maybe when they're thirty they'll be like dad did cool stuff once. That's right. That's my hope. Remember when you were cool, dad? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that was great. But yeah, that box, uh, it's got a lot of different speaker cabinets that are pretty true recreations to what these old amps would see. Okay. Uh, you can put two microphones on the cabinet. You got one in the room. Is that essentially, sorry to interrupt you, No. kind no. of like I've got a couple of old Palmer speaker emulators? Yes, it's exactly what it it's is. It's kind of the same? The exactly okay. the same thing. And they just, what they, all they did was build upon it. Okay. They put a reactive speaker motor in it so that when the amp hits it, Speakers generate different frequencies and different feels because of the way the motor goes in and out. Right. So they found a way to recreate that. Okay. You know, turn it over to the digital realm. On my computer, I can pull up the Bluetooth uh, uh, software that goes with that box. Okay. Uh, and I can give an entire representation of what we'd have at like the tracking room or Ocean Way or a really great studio. Right. 
all for twelve hundred dollars. Which it, I I would need twelve hundred bucks just to buy the Royer. Yeah, and I've got U sixty sevens, four fourteens, all this stuff in there. And then the most beautiful thing is it has post effects as well. So you got your plate reverbs, a really great eleven seventy six compressor, which I like to put on the back end of a guitar just to bookend it a little bit, uh, and EQs mm-hmm. that you would have on like your studio preamps. And I've done A and B stuff with tracks I've done in the studio. And that. Yeah. And it's so nominal. And in fact, there are tones I like out of this better because I have a little more control. And some people are hearing with their eyes. That's exactly right. Yeah. And now, I will say this. And again, I preface this with I am still learning so much. And I have not gotten the opportunities to have years and years and years of hearing my rig through the best preamps and mics. And there are days that I've heard my tone in studios and been like, I can't touch that anywhere else. Right. You know, and a lot of that has to do with the engineer and the person dialing it yeah. in. You can have the best gear in the world. If you don't have the ears to use it, it don't matter. Right. But that box has allowed me to really do most of my heavy lifting from home. You take that to the studio? I will. I have people that prefer me to bring that depending on their setup. If I'm going to a proper studio in town, right. I'll have Cartage come pick up my rig. Can you explain Cartage? Uh, yeah. Cartage is a really fancy word for uh, uh, amazing people. Mm-hmm. that are incredibly skilled at uh, delivering your studio rig and setting it up. So they don't come to your house and take your matchless. I mean, you have gear at a place. Yeah, there, there's a locker that the rig stays at, and I'll have three or four amps that stay okay. there and a trunk of guitars and a cabinet and a combo amp. Now, my scenario is a little different, and um, uh, uh, Larry Firkins does my card here in town. Him and Patches, and they worked out a deal with me where if I have three or four dates in a week, mm-hmm. I'll utilize the locker, which I share with our buddy Brandon Hood. Right. On weeks where I'm doing a lot of gear from home, they'll bring it to the house. Okay. My cartridge rig will stay here because I have the means to use it in right. a home scenario, which is important to me. Yeah. Um, and so I have a little bit different situation because I'm busy in different ways than some of the other guys in town that I have more experience and get more calls to be in the studio all the time. Half of my work comes from being home and still delivering that product. Right. So I take pride in doing that. And so cartage for me is dependent on the week. But yeah, and I take less and less these days. Uh, so does a cartage, do they change your strings? Do they set your rig up? Or do they no, uh, just roll in and there's your stuff in yeah, pieces? Yeah, they kind of have a, like a blueprint. Uh, you know, I kind of tell them how I like it set up mm-hmm. and it's very similar to the people, my peers in town. Right. Uh, because I learned, I'm like, Oh, that works for, you know, Rob McNally. That's right. a really good idea. We'll do that. Yeah. And so I like my amps on my right side because I can just take my picking hand and reach over. I don't have to let go of my neck. I like my guitars on my left side and a pedal board in the middle. Uh, and I'll have, you know, a Marshall and some type of Vox circuit and a baseman. Yeah. And then a Tweed Deluxe. Uh, and, yeah, I'll, that's the deal. And they just set it up in the morning and leave the speaker cable draped over the, the amp so I can pick my amp. And I, I used to have them get all my guitars out. I don't do that anymore. I'll just pick a guitar like we were talking about earlier. Right. I'll pick something. I'm like, yeah. that seems inspiring today. Right. And I'll start the day on that until it doesn't work. And yeah. then I'll dig and get more because I don't want a lot of options around me because then, then I get overwhelmed. So who are your favorite guitar players that have really pushed you maybe to want to do this, but also just 
Yeah. To want to play guitar. No, totally, man. Uh, the first, I at first I was really into the blues. Mm-hmm. My dad plays guitar. He loved the blues. So Clapton. Okay. Stevie Ray Vaughan. Duh. Yeah. And then John Mayer came out, and that blew my mind. Using Stevie Ray's. Yes, uh, using tech. Uh, yeah, using Renee Martinez's yeah. tech. Love that guy. And a lot of those sounds and styles. Yeah. So it was something that I was already enjoying, but it had this pop element to it because I like pop music. Absolutely. <clears throat> and great pop songs. Yeah, that was the first stuff I learned. That and Bon Jovi's "Slippery When Wet" yeah. record because those rock guitar, you know, riffs were just so iconic. Seen a million faces and yeah. what? And rocked and them all. <laughs> gently swayed them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, man, I just like got really into that, and then country music started having a little more rock and roll in it. Yeah, for sure. For uh, sure. Keith Urban started coming out, and all of a sudden, guitar was kind of coming yep. more of a tough guy thing. Uh, and I grew up on '90s country too, so like that was always something I really looked up to. Yeah. But I couldn't play that stuff at the time; I loved it. Right. Yeah. But I started trying to fuss through that, and then like Keith Urban came out, and Stupid Boy came out, and all this. Uh, all these songs started coming out. I was like, "Whoa!" Like well, Keith Urban is essentially playing rock guitar all the time. One hundred, just a little bit cleaner tone. One hundred percent, a telly. Yeah, and uh, that enters in. And I'm not afraid or ashamed to talk about it. And he'll hear it and make fun of me every time I go over to his house from now on. Uh, that's when I found out who Tom Bukovac was. Yeah. yeah, who is, and I'll say it right here, and everyone can say whatever they want. My Absolute die of the world's favorite guitar player who will ever live on the face of the yeah. planet. There's, I had, period. Take any celebrity guitar player from any era, that is the guy that when I like honed in and started listening to what he was playing, there was something about it. And I, I think I know I'm speaking for hundreds of players in this town. Yeah. Uh, and I'm happy to be the one to admit it unabashedly. And that is, that is, uh, <laughs> That's four big words, man. That's four cups of coffee <laughs> right there. Right there, man. Uh, I would. I started driving down from Kansas City to see him play with Dave Bahanish. Okay. I found, I found some YouTube videos he had put up, and he played with so much emotion and feel and intentionality and tone. Uh, and tone was always such a thing I was into because Dad was into it. That I just, something immediately I yeah. related to. I couldn't get enough of it. Went out and started buying every record, and that's when I always wanted to be a session dude. But that's when it hit, yeah. Because he wasn't just playing country; he wasn't just playing one thing or another. He was yeah. like, he was a melting pot of all this rock and roll and dark rock and roll, and yeah. tones and stuff. And then he'd play on a freaking Stevie Nicks record, exactly. And it's like, yeah, there was yeah. all sorts of no those kind of guys. And he <laughs> and you would, worked with him for years. I mean, I'm yeah. talking to one of his best friends right now. Right? We would be at the pool hall till. Two in the morning, yeah, playing shuffleboard and whatever. And the next morning we had a session, and we'd walk in. Is whatever I, water you guys had a lot of water. Had a lot of water <laughs> because I knew what had happened the night. And he'd be looking at a chart, going, "Man, you know, last night, man, you know, I, I, I got to play a free session because I lost that shuffleboard. Is that a five? It's a five. Okay, okay. So anyway, man, where'd you get those jeans? Those are really cool. Is that a one? Okay, that's a one. All right, that's that's enough. Let's go run one. Yeah. And it's like we barely got through a verse and a chorus, and yeah. he was done listening to the work tape. Yeah. And he'd go, let's go. And they'd run one, and then it'd be done. Yeah. He'd go, let me take a solo. All right. 
Yeah. It would be done. And he and, has such a Rolodex. I don't mean to interrupt no, you. No, no. At all. What struck me about what you're talking about is when I really got to know him and became buds, like, I realized like his love for music. Oh, dude. Unbelievable. Is something that maybe is rivaled by his wife. Yeah. You know, like, his Rolodex for parts and things, he just, you can see his mind just scrolling through till he gets to the file and pulls yeah. it out of the, you know, the library card and gets it out and he goes, we need this. The Dewey Decimal System. Yeah, as, and he just yeah. does it. And that was something that was so special to me that I was like, whoa, like, I need to go back and start digesting this music and actually really understanding. Yeah. Understanding what it is that made that stuff. To Like, that's something that's so special and different instruments. Like yeah. he would tell the keyboard player, dude, play it like, like they did on Jackson five. Yeah. You know, in 1977 yeah. and like, yeah. Yeah. It, and, and I've been so blessed. Like he, he's been such a mentor. I, I hope, and this is awful to say, but I, I hope that music doesn't dictate getting further away from that kind of stuff. Agreed. I so agree. Um, Without pointing fingers, I just, I just, I hope, no, totally, totally, man. I hope we go back to great songs, yeah, not just great sounding records because great sounding records are fantastic, but it's the old polish a turd kind of thing. Totally, you know? we just had a conversation about that actually. He and Sarah and I were sitting around talking and talking about how, and it really had never dawned on me. She was the one I think who brought it up. She was like. Songs don't change chords anymore. Hmm. At all. They might change, you know, dynamics. You might have some more parts brought in on top. But when you start going back over the last, you know, we'll call it five years. I'll use country music in particular. Hmm. Uh, and I won't name any songs because there's some songs that call for that and that's killer. Yeah. But what I'm finding is, you know, they'll do these top rights where the guys will come in with the track or whatnot. And it's a snippet. It's like mm-hmm. a 30 second snippet and they'll just copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste to write the song. And these are masterful lyricists. Yeah. These are not dumb people, but they're such lyricists that all of a sudden they get done with the song and you hear it and you're like, that's three and a half minutes of like of the a one. one, six minor five or one and five, one, five, yeah. one, five. And, and yeah. so, you know, you got to navigate when you get into a session like that. Like, uh, I had a I had a situation recently where I got asked to be band leader on a session by a player that I really respect, and uh, we were taking these demos and and making them, you know, making them masters. Mm-hmm. And I, I had to text him, and I was like, "Hey, man, I'm I'm charting out these tunes. Uh, <laughs> is there any leeway in here?" And I meant it so I I genuinely meant it for like I cared so much. I was like, "These are pretty cool songs." Like, hey are we doing these as rote and right. then we'll get them to them tomorrow? Or do you want me to go ahead and make changes and we'll just say, refer to chart, not, not demo right. in the room. And he goes, man for this, because of who we're working for chart it just like the demo. Just like it, yeah. We'll make changes tomorrow, but they probably won't want to. And it was like, cool. But it was another one of those scenarios where I'm not saying I'm the smartest person in the room at all when it comes to any of that stuff. But I hope it gets back to really interesting stuff. Yeah. Tom made the comment we were talking about charting, and he goes, wouldn't it be great if I had to pick up a guitar to dig out the chords that I was hearing hmm. in a song that was being presented to play? He goes, I miss that. 
and and he was speaking of days that I've never experienced, and he was referring to you know <laughs> his earlier days in the studio. And he goes, I remember having to like dig out some stuff. You know, I couldn't just talk about the night at the shuffle hall, sh- yeah. you know, shuffleboard hall, and like pick out ones <laughs> and fives. He was like, man. And so I, I can't express enough. I'm not trying to, A, I'm not trying to disparage, and I'm not no, trying man. to sound like Tom is my best friend in the world by any means. So if that comes across to anyone, it's like, oh, now he's just talking about that. It just like, He's a mentor, and I've learned so much, and I'm so grateful that he's allowed me to be in that position or whatever, but... That kind of goes back to me being such a left-footed guitar player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Billy Panda mm-hmm. probably has the most amazing chord knowledge of anybody I've ever been around. Yes. And he was playing acoustic yes. on a session, and <clears throat> he was kind of doing the same thing. You know, yeah, we were rapping presents till midnight. And all of a sudden, he just stopped. He goes, Bar, what, what was that chord right there? And I... Played it. Mm-hmm. I picked up a guitar because I don't know what I'm doing. So I played this chord, and he goes, "Oh, that's a two minor with an added ninth and a with a suspended thirteenth." And I go, <laughs> yeah. "Yeah," and I I call yeah. it that because I don't know what. And and exactly. he was just like, "I freaking love that." Yeah. But going back to other guys like Bob DePiro, mm-hmm. he said when the band comes into the studio to listen to the playback. And they all go, dude, that's the coolest song I've ever heard in my life. He goes, that's not your hit. He said, when the band comes in and just goes, yeah, so what's next? Mm-hmm. He goes, that's, that's probably your hit. And that's a valid statement. He goes, because if you're, if you're writing songs for the band. Yep. You ain't writing songs for the public. You ain't writing songs for the public. Yeah. So anyway, dude, I'm so excited to, to watch you. Oh, thanks. And just, uh, I'm so thankful I was part of the last six years or whatever seven years and that's uh, part of the last seven years so i love you buddy i love you pal this is fun thank yeah. you totally let's, fun. let's go play guitars let's play guitars i need right. some lunch let's yes go. <laughs> bye